Okay, good morning, Gateway. I've got a couple of cultural experts up here with me. This is Ellie Jessup. Ellie, good morning. And Ellie just finished Broad Run High School and graduates tonight, I think. And Jake Maffey, good morning, Jake. Good morning. uh, Yep. Jake just finished his freshman year at Radford University. Whoop, whoop. So... Yep, Radford representing. Jake's wearing his Briarwoods t-shirt. His brother is doing seven on seven today, and I asked Jake beforehand if he missed that, and he said, sure, I miss roasting in August. Jake was the quarterback at Briarwoods a year ago, and did I say just finish your freshman year? Yes. So I asked uh, Jake and Ellie if they would be cultural experts for us this morning. I found online three different lists of incidents and events and trends that have been especially impactful in the 21st century. So, you know, to this generation. Interestingly, uh, Ellie asked permission to mention another one, which I'm shocked was not on these lists. But I have listed, I think, 16 or 17 of the most important trends and events that have impacted the 21st century, and I'm going to ask Jake and Ellie, if they would, to comment on the the couple that they think have been most impactful to their generation, and then, you know, a, a, a sentence about how it has been impactful. But before we do, I want you to see this, but this was the list that we came up with. We're in a series of messages, today's actually the last message in our series of messages on, from First Peter on how to respond to the culture. So let's go to the first one. So Steve Jobs introduces the iPad in 2001. iPod. I'm sorry. (laughs) Wow. Okay, the second one. The Twin Towers are hit by airplanes and crumble. 9-11, 2001. Third, U.S. Armed Forces reach Baghdad and the reign of Saddam Hussein comes to an end. 2003. Next. 2003, the space shuttle Discovery blew up. 2003, the completion of the Human Genome Project. And video gaming trend. A tsunami in the Indian Ocean kills 200,000 people in 2004. 2005, YouTube was launched. 2008, Barack Obama becomes the first African-American president in U.S. history. Next trend, the explosion of a new communication style through social media. On your little paper, it says Facebook was launched in 2004. Isn't that incredible? Next, the Great Recession, 2008 through 2011. Next, the rise of blogging and vlogging, creating YouTube and blogging authorities and celebrities. Next, commandos attack and kill Osama bin Laden in 2011. Next, the U.S. rover Curiosity takes a selfie on Mars. Next, the Boston Marathon is bombed in 2013. And last, riots break out across Ferguson, Missouri after Michael Brown is killed in 2014. So who wants to go first? (laughs) Okay, Ellie, fire it up. 
So you added one. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I added uh, school shootings quickly for if a shooter were to enter the building, and it kind of like uh, were to enter the building right now. Ellie, this is, I know, are you 18 yet? Yes. 18. Okay, so big question for an 18-year-old. You can say, I don't know. <laughs> okay. But what do you think that does to your generation? Does it create insecurity, or does it, what's the impact? Um, I think, I don't know. I think it causes people to kind of act. I don't know. Yeah. I just, okay. Okay. I, I ask you to pick another one. Do you have another one off um, the list, or, or yeah. are you going to grab one? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think social, it's just... People. I'm almost glad you said that because if I were guessing for your generation, I would have guessed that one. Right. And it feels like there is some new social media device like every month. We can't mm-hmm. keep up with you guys. And we realize it's because you're trying to hide from us. But, yeah. Jake, what about you? If you had to name a couple, what would you say? Well, I was going to say social media, but... Um, <laughs> well, you can. Well, yeah, so. I mean, just with the amount of people that are on it nowadays, it's just become like mostly like a primary media outlet now. Literally, every, companies all have it. Gateway has Facebook. Like, yeah. Gateway itself. So... I feel like that was just, that's been huge. Is this where you get your information, Jake? Or yeah, you, pretty much. Okay. Like, I get all, like, around, like, when the Boston Marathon bombing happened, for, I saw it on Twitter. That's the first place I saw it. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. If, if you picked the second one, what would it be? Probably uh, Obama becoming president, because mm. I feel like that shows that we as a culture are becoming more accepting of people. We still have a long way to go, but in general, starting, everything's starting to come around. Okay. Thank you. All right, I'm going to ask these cultural experts, if they would, to read uh, Peter's final words for us. So we're going to end this series today, and we get to hear Coach Peter, and I'll explain that in a minute, giving his speech in the locker room right before the game. So this is kind of Peter riveted on what he really wants us to keep in mind. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. I'd love for you to look at that with us if you have a Bible. Peter's at the back of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. And we're going to be seated because they've got the, the reading in front of them. But I'm going to ask us to go old school if you would. And let's stand out of reverence for God's word. And I want you to listen to Ellie and Jake read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Okay, hold on, Ellie. Yes. I'm going to add this real quick. Sorry you're standing, I know, but almost every week somebody here at Gateway says, Ed, please tell us more Greek grammar. So I'm going to do that this morning. <laughs> if, you, if you have an NIV open in front of you, there's a period there. And I don't know why they did that. The old uh, King James and newer translations like the English Standard Version do not have a period, and they shouldn't. That word cast is in, some of you have heard me say this before, it's in a participial form, which is kind of an I-N-G form, and it means it's dependent on another verb. It's not another sentence. So it should read exactly what it says here, that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Go ahead. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered in a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Father, we ask that you would apply 
your epic truth to our lives. We want to receive today what you have for us. So anything today that's preventing us from hearing from you, worry, anger, frustration, confusion, sin, we ask that you would cleanse us and clear that up and purify us and open our hearts to you. Hear us. In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I was watching the NBA Finals a few nights ago, and one of the experts commentating on it is a guy named Kenny Smith, and Kenny used to play in the NBA, and he was asked right before the game, you know, what are they doing right now And in the pregame speeches? And Kenny Smith said, well, I can tell you, the coach is not going over the entire game plan. He doesn't have time for that, and they've been over the game plan, and they've been over some of the essentials of the game plan all year long. What he's doing right now is he's aiming to be inspirational, and he's telling them one or two things, big picture things, that they need to keep in mind because it's game time. Well, that's what Peter does. In this section, these are Peter's final words, and it's game time. And he's going to tell us the the one or two things that he wants us to make sure that we are focused on during the game. I want us to think, before we jump into it, I want us to think about what Peter doesn't say. So first of all, Peter does not say, look at how awful the culture around us is. You really need to hate on them. He hasn't said that, and he doesn't say it for good reason. Think about the impact of our constant griping about the culture. This does not make us more winsome, and that's not what Peter advises. The second thing Peter doesn't say is, Peter doesn't say, hey, go organize yourselves and demand that Rome listen to you. Seize the culture back. A few weeks ago, we talked about how proactive submission, proactive submission should be our emotional posture, even toward the government, we said. Peter has repeated that sentiment several times in this letter, and he's going to again today. Now, look, he's not trying to create a bunch of passive pushovers, but he's trying to kill the natural tendency in us towards self-reliance and self-promotion. And that tendency has become the very special hallmark of the American suburbs. We might be the most self-reliant, self-promoting species in Earth's history. We've got to let that go. This is not God's way, and Peter's going to remind us again today of that. Let me give you a third thing that Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, culture is neutral, so, you know, so go enjoy the culture without qualification. Don't worry about protecting what your kids see and hear. Certainly don't worry about guarding what you see and hear. Just dive in. It's all good. Now, remember, he tells us that the culture around us tends toward debauchery and idolatry. And he reminds us that we used to be the same way. This is not what he says. If, if this isn't his message, if this hasn't been the things that he's been saying... What does he say? Well, there are kind of three active ideas here, and we're going to combine the last two into one. He says, first of all, humble yourselves. And secondly, he says, be vigilant and resist the devil. All right, so let's dive in. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. This is almost exactly the same point that we ended with last week if you were here. This is Peter once again reminding us to entrust our circumstances to God. In the Old Testament... God's hand was the image that the authors would use almost always to symbolize either deliverance 
or discipline. And that's exactly the way Peter is thinking of it here. Both of those are in his mind. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Entrust your circumstances to God. Whatever you're going through, God is in it. Trust his ways and his timing with the result that he may lift you up. Trust his timing with the result that he may lift you up. Okay, this is the upside-down principle at work, and let me explain. Here's what I mean. Jesus' favorite topic was the kingdom of God. That sometimes surprises people, but he talked about the kingdom of God more than he talked about prayer or love or faith by far. And Jesus' ideas about the kingdom have often been called upside-down, and here's what they mean. In the kingdom, according to Jesus, the way to live is to die. The way to lead is to serve. The way up is down. The way to the front is through the back. And all of this reversal, this death into life, this serving into leading, all of that reversal, we brought about it will be brought to light in due time, we are told. The kingdom will be manifested fully in due time. The real purpose and consequences of your circumstances right now will be brought to light for what they really are in due time. All things will be made to work together for good for those who have entrusted their life and their circumstances to God in due time. The Greek language had two words for time. So if you were to ask, what time is it? That's not the word Peter uses here. Or if you were to ask, hey, what time does the train arrive? That's not the word Peter uses here. But if you were to ask, or if you were to say, oh, you know, we live in tricky times. That's Peter's word. Or if I were to say, hey, boys, all of you, at some time in the future, you're going to be shaving every day too. That's Peter's word here. In other words, at exactly the right season, at the right time, moment when circumstances have been fully baked and matured, when it's exactly right for you and me, when it works most for our good and and for our future, we will be lifted up. So let's entrust our circumstances to God, not worrying about today, but with that day in our view, always looking for that day, the due time, his day. All right, let's admit it. This whole concept is difficult for our McDonald's microwave generation. I mean, we're obsessed with time to be sure, but not in the way Peter is advocating here. We're obsessed with time, I think, because our lives are so cluttered and because we're so demanding. You can see it in the way we talked. I think this is utterly fascinating. I read this week, according to the editors of the concise Oxford Dictionary, time is the most frequently used noun in American speech. Isn't that revealing? And look at the titles of our self-help books. Check this out. These are literal book titles you can find on Amazon. One year to a college degree. Jake, you're already behind. 30 days to a better life. 30 days. Seven days to a brand new me. Even 60-minute marriage builder. 60-minute. For those of you who are having trouble, in an hour you can solve it. And if that's not quick enough for you to address your crisis, how about this? One minute father. <laughs> 60 second stress management. The one minute healing experience, and those of you who've had experience with this or your practitioners, you'll appreciate this. One minute therapist. 60 seconds to serenity. 
More than 100 titles in print today use the word instant. For example, you can find everything from instant Yiddish to instant emotional healing. And running out of time, how about read instant time management? (laughs) How ironic is that? Look, we know this. We know we're busy. We even know we can be a little demanding, but for some reason, we don't seem to put it all together. We don't stop long enough to recognize what we're doing and why. We don't get the truth, or we don't own the truth, that we're busy because we choose to be. We're not victims in this, and our busyness and our demandingness are not producing for us the lives we long to live. So what are we to do? Well, we've already jumped into it, but Coach Peter actually gives us a couple of helpful encouragements. First off, he gives us the reminder that we've just been talking about. Coach Peter tells us, humble yourselves because he will lift you up. He will lift you up in due time. God has a timing, and his timing will be done. In due time, he will lift us up. I think this whole idea of God lifting us up in due time is increasingly foreign in our culture. Not only the due time business, but but we don't have time to let someone else lift us up, and we don't trust God to do so. We want to be lifted up now. So we end up in a hurry, and we end up working and striving to promote ourselves and our own cause. I've got to give another illustration here. David Brooks was the author of a book called The Road to Character. Listen to this. He He was talking in an NPR interview. He was talking about how differently we today in our culture deal with promoting ourselves versus how we used to a generation ago or two generations ago now. I think this shines light on a part of our cultural character. So he offered this example, and I'm quoting from David Brooks here. The day after Japan surrendered in 1945 and World War II ended, singer Bing Crosby appeared on the radio program Command Performance. Bing Crosby said this, Well, it looks like this is it. What can you say at a time like this? I guess all anybody can do is to thank God it's over. Then Brooks added this. (laughs) That's awesome. I was really struck at this supreme moment of American triumph. They weren't beating their chests. They weren't super proud of themselves. They were deeply humble. And I found that so beautiful and so moving, and I thought there's really something to admire in that kind of public culture. And then he continues... Shortly after studying about what happened after World War II, I was watching a pro football game. A quarterback threw a short pass to a wide receiver who was tackled almost immediately for a two-yard gain. The defensive player did what all professional athletes seem to do these days in those moments of personal accomplishment. He did a self-puffing victory dance as the camera lingered on him. And it occurred to me that I had just watched more celebration after a single tackle on a two-yard gain than I heard from the entire country after we defeated World War II. Something frenetic and ugly and self-promoting has positioned itself at the center of our culture, and we fall prey to it unless we reject it and intentionally humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Maybe as much as any culture in history, we need to hear Coach Peter remind us to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand that he might lift us up in due time. And after that reminder, Peter adds something real practical, and I don't want you to miss that this is intended to be a very practical piece of advice. 
He says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That word casting is a beautiful translation. It, the word literally means just to, to throw away from you. So I bought a, brought a sweatshirt up here this morning so I could demonstrate casting. And I want you to notice what's involved in casting. I want you to notice what I have to do to cast aside this piece of clothing. Casting my sweatshirt aside. And I know you saw it. I, I, had, to, I had to extend my arms, right? But there was something else. You saw it. There's something else. I'll do it again. I'm going to cast my sweatshirt aside. There's something else that I did. I'm going to do it this time, but I'm not going to do it all. So I'm going to cast this sweatshirt. I have to let go. If I'm going to cast something away from me, I have to let go. So whatever my worries are, I've got to let them go. It is an activity. It's active. So imagine... And some of you don't need to imagine that you have a child with learning disabilities. God, I I know you love him more than I ever could. I throw his future on you. I throw my worry on you. I release the temptation and the tendency and the desire to work it out, to make it happen. Some of you here today are in a marriage that's far less than you would like it to be. God, I trust you completely in this circumstance, and I throw my worry on you. I throw my concern. I release it. I let it go. I believe you drew us together, and you're going to work it out. Your health. This week we heard that, many of you got the news, but we heard that Susan Bell had to go to the hospital for emergency heart surgery, which she underwent on Friday. And a group of us were at the hospital on Friday with Jabin. Jabin really ministered to me and, and also wiped me out. So I was weeping half the way home. Thank you very much, Jabin. But Jabin was saying, you know, I'm not worried, but it's just hard. I said, why is it hard, Jabin? And he said some beautiful things about Susan. But then Jabin said this. And those of you who know Jabin, you know how he's as goofy as any of us. But he's also a good man. And he gets some of this. And Jabin says, you know, Susan is where she's always been, in God's hands. God, we humble ourselves under your mighty hand that you might lift us up, casting all our anxiety on you because you care for us. Okay, we're going to bring the second and third pieces of advice together, as I said. So Peter also adds to this. We're not going to be as long with this one. Peter says, be vigilant, watching out for the devil's activity and resist him wherever you see him at work. Be vigilant, watching out for the devil's activity and resist him wherever you see him at work. I'm going to say it again. Be vigilant. Watching out for the devil's activity and resist him wherever you see him at work. Okay. Whenever we talk about the devil, we're always in danger of erring in one of two opposite directions. On the one hand, we can place too much emphasis on the devil. Look, I want you to notice, this is the first time in the entire letter that Peter has mentioned the devil. And some of you remember what we said two weeks ago. Our primary enemy is not the devil. 
Our primary enemy is not the culture. Our primary enemy is our own sin. That's what keeps us separated from God. Our sin is the only reason our souls are ever in any real danger. It's entirely possible to place too much emphasis on the devil with the result that we become spiritual victims and we don't take the responsibility we need to take for our own actions and we don't do the work that we need to do to deepen our own connection with God. But this is very, very rarely the mistake that suburban northern Virginians make. We were educated and groomed and baked and nurtured in a culture that completely dismisses the spiritual part of reality. Our tendency is to radically reduce reality to its seeable, hearable, touchable parts. When we hear about the spiritual world surrounding us, some of us think, okay, I know that's all true, but it's incredibly weird. I think I'll just concern myself with the stuff I kind of understand. And some of us go even further in this direction, don't we? For some of us, we tend to think, that just sounds like a freaky fairy tale. It it doesn't make any sense. I really admire Jesus. I want to be a good person. But all that devil stuff, I just don't buy it. Well, I'm not going to spend any time today convincing you that Jesus was absolutely convinced of the reality of the spiritual world. I'm not going to try to convince you that resisting the devil was a significant aspect of Jesus' life and ministry. I'm not going to try to convince you that the idea that reality is restricted to what is seeable, hearable, and touchable is every bit a belief system just as much as the belief system that Coach Peter is advocating. I'm just going to remind us that if we ignore the devil and his activity, we do so to our very great disadvantage. Let me say that again. If we ignore the devil and his activity, we do so to our very great disadvantage. Think about it. If the devil is real, then ignoring his activity is like trying to repaint our ceiling every few weeks while refusing to investigate the source of the stain that keeps reappearing. Coach Peter tells us the devil is our adversary, our enemy. In fact, Peter's second word here in verse 8, be alert, was a word used of soldiers on watch duty. We are to be alert because the devil means to harm us. Peter compares him to a lion. And when a lion is on the prowl, that's no time for sleep. I especially want us to see the implications of what Coach Peter says in verse 9, beginning with resist him. First of all, notice that we are to resist him with the encouragement that no matter what we're going through, we're not alone. There are others who are going through the same kinds of sufferings. And and look at that observation, the same sufferings in verse 9. What does the same refer to? Well, it refers back to the devouring of the roaring lion in verse 8. Same as what in verse 9? It's the same as that which the roaring lion wants to produce in us. That same thing is already happening in our brothers and sisters around the world. In other words, hold on to this, while our suffering may be at the hands of persecutors or or it may just come through terrible circumstances in our lives, there's no question the devil is behind it. We cannot ignore him. He's the cause of many of our problems. He wants to use our circumstances to literally destroy us. All right, some of you who were here last week, this may raise a question for you. You're thinking, if you were paying attention, you're thinking, so wait, Ed. Last week you said God was behind our suffering. 
you talked about how Peter speaks of suffering in the context of God's will. Now you're saying the devil is behind our suffering. Which is it, preacher boy? Is God behind our suffering or is the devil behind our suffering? And the answer is yes. You remember that great quote we threw out a few weeks ago? We quoted Johnny Tata Erickson who said that in all of our circumstances, heaven and hell are involved, but for very different reasons. God is using our circumstances to shape us and mold us and discipline us into the person we really long to be, into his image. But the devil, whether or not you believe he's real, the devil intends to use our circumstances to devour us, to derail our lives and our children and our marriages and our careers. So we must resist him, standing firm in our faith. And if we don't resist him, we will find ourselves limiting our spiritual growth and limiting our ability to victoriously pass through our difficult circumstances. If we don't resist him, we will find ourselves limiting our spiritual growth and our ability to victoriously pass through our difficult circumstances. So imagine this morning that you're in a marital conflict. It may be that you need to consider that more than just the two of you are involved in this conflict. It may be that you need to take some time resisting the devil. Jesus, I call on your power and your strength. I resist anything that the devil is doing in my life and in my marriage. I stand against that in Jesus' name and in his power. I resist him. I stand firm in my faith with you, God. Some of you are experiencing or will experience sickness. And there may be, there may be something other than just a virus or cancer involved in this sickness. God, I claim your strength and I resist anything that the devil might be doing in this. I resist his work. I stand against it. I don't receive it. In your job, some of you have been passed over for something that you deserved or you're out of work or you're in a conflict with a manager and there may be something more than just your resume involved in this affair. God, I resist the work of the devil in my work. I resist what he's doing. I resist his influence on me and on those around me. I stand against him in Jesus' name. <laughs> That's just too weird for me. I can't buy all that boogeyman stuff. If that's how you feel, I completely understand, but I pray that you'll recognize the truth of this instruction from Peter because otherwise you'll keep repainting the ceiling in many rooms of your house wondering what's wrong. Hey, Gateway, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. It's game time. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and stay vigilant watching out for the devil's activity and resist him wherever he's working in God's name resist him because he's working against you for your harm Father we've talked some about the culture and we've talked some about our response to the culture and we end up recognizing that much of this just has to do with our connection with you and our resistance to your activity, our resistance to Satan's activity around us and through us. 
This morning, we resist. And if at some time in the future we want to renege on our deal to humble ourselves under your mighty hand, if we want to take up and embrace what the devil is doing in our lives, and remember that today we said we are humbled before you and we resist. And God, would you remind us that's where we want to be, knowing that in due time, in due time, you will lift us up then, oh Lord, we will be lifted up. It won't be some artificial self-inflating. Today we stand before you in worship of the great I Am. Stand with me if you would. Our hearts are open and soft and broken before you. We ask today that you would seal what you've done. I want to be close, close to your side. Heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to hear voices, angels of singing as one hallelujah holy holy God almighty great I am who is worthy none beside thee God almighty great I
Hallelujah, Lord. God Almighty. 